Good morning. I'd like to invite you, if you have your Bible this morning, to open it to Luke chapter 19. It's where we're going to start today. But if you have a phone or an iPad with you and you have our, downloaded our app, um, you'll find a reading there. It's actually going to be a reading in Mark. But today, I'm, it is Palm Sunday, as Jess has said, so I'm going to start in Luke chapter 19. And I'm going to set you some homework this week. If, you know, people come to church and you think that the preacher has done all the hard work and you just get to come here and we just tell you stuff and that's all the work you need to do. No, this week I'm actually going to set you some homework and that is to start at Luke chapter 19 and read through to, um, to the crucifixion of Jesus in preparation for Good Friday. Luke, of all the gospel writers, has the most to say about what happens in what we call Holy Week, starting from today. So I want to invite you to do that. And one of the things you'll notice as you read from Luke chapter 19 is that there's a rhythm to this week. And the rhythm is that Jesus goes into Jerusalem and then in, during the day and in the night he goes out to pray. It's almost like a tide that goes into Jerusalem and out to the mountain to pray. Jesus goes in and comes out. It's like breathing. And as you read the scriptures this week, I want to encourage you to breathe in what you're reading. In fact, that's a great way of thinking about every day, isn't it? To breathe in the presence of Jesus as we wake up in the morning, to go out into our day, and then to breathe out at the end of the day as we process what has happened with the Lord. It's a great rhythm and you'll notice that in Luke. Well, I hope you notice it anyway. I wonder today as we think about Palm Sunday to start off with, have you ever been swept up in a crowd? Last week, we were, uh, last week, wish it was last week. Last year we were in Spain on the morning after Real Madrid won the European Cup final. Like I could care less, it was soccer. <laughs> was that what it was? All I know is we were coming out of a restaurant the sort of the evening after and as I came out of the door of the restaurant, here's this giant bus that pulls up and all I could see was this massive silver cup and I could hear people calling out, Ronaldo! And I know enough about soccer to know that this was someone famous and there was, this was very important in the bus and before I knew it, Neil was still in the restaurant paying the bill. I was out the door following the crowd into the middle of Madrid, into the old piazza where all the people were gathered to welcome the uh, Real Madrid to this hotel and they were getting, it was like a royal wedding. You know, they get out on the balcony and everyone's cheering their heads off and we're all singing, we are the champions in Spanglish. You know, it was an amazing thing. And I had my phone up there and screaming my head off. You know, it just swept up in the crowd. And as we think about Palm Sunday, there's that feeling of being swept up in the crowd and the noise. And as I've read from Luke chapter 19 through to the crucifixion of Jesus, the other thing I notice is not just this rhythm out, but the noise. The Bible is such a noisy book. It's full of people, people doing things, people being swept up, um, voices speaking. As you read this week, I want to encourage you to think about how noisy is it? Get actually engaged with the words. Don't just read the words, but insert yourself into the crowd. Think about what the voices that you hear, like you're reading, what they sounded like. And be moved this holy week in the progress of the story. 
One of the interesting things about the crowd is what they were yelling out. As Jesus was on the donkey coming into Jerusalem and people were laying down their coats and getting caught up in the momentum coming into Jerusalem, they were yelling out kind of, Hosanna, Shalom, peace. But what was interesting is they weren't, they were talking about Shalom or peace, but there was peace in heaven. Shalom is a Jewish word that means peace. It means peace not just on the exterior, not just in the world, but actually means internal peace. It's a whole, whole of life, everything at peace. And what struck me when I read that again, because I was paying attention to the details, perhaps in a way I hadn't quite done before, was they were yelling out peace, but peace in heaven. There was a disconnect between what they were yelling out as they were welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem. The peace was in heaven, but it seems to me there was a disconnect. There wasn't actually an expectation of peace on earth. It's interesting, isn't it? How we can kind of spiritualise things sometimes. And we can say stuff about who God is and who Jesus is, but our heads are up here or our thinking's up here and we haven't actually grounded it in our everyday lives. And I want you to think about that because there's an important question that comes out of this. Because when Jesus is overlooking Jerusalem as he's entering in and all the noise, Jesus starts to weep. And he weeps and he says, if only you knew today what is needed for peace. If only you knew today what is needed for peace. Peace is what everyone is looking for. Even today, peace is what we're looking for because life is filled with so much noise. There's the external noise of what's going on around us, the economy that we can't control, the people that we can't control, (laughs) the circumstances of life that we can't control, the larger world that we can't control, Donald Donald Trump that no one seems to be able to control. what happened in Syria this week. These are horrific things that are happening and it's like this world is full of noise. And then there's the internal noise of our own lives. Have you ever stopped to think about how much noise is in your life and in your soul? Sometimes that noise is positive. It gives us energy to get up and go and to do things. But more often than not, there's also a level of anxiety or other things that are bubbling away underneath the surface that are just creating this noise. We are not often quiet and at peace. Even as followers of Jesus, and I must admit, I don't like saying that out loud, but I think today I need to say it, that even as followers of Jesus, I'm not sure that we live as people who are totally at peace. And yet we proclaim that we are followers of the Prince of Peace. And I am speaking as much as myself as I am to you. If only we knew today what was needed for peace. So let's think about these bad boys of Easter. Mark's introduced a couple of groups, but today we want to look at some more. So the two bad boys we're going to start with are on Palm Sunday. They were two bad boys in prison. Uh, Often... These men are called thieves, the thieves on the cross, one either side of Jesus. So ultimately on Friday, they were hanging there with Jesus, dying. 
But actually, they probably weren't just thieves because the Romans were pretty good at um, figuring out what to do with people that they didn't like, people who didn't follow the rules. Um, there were lots of different ways of um, punishing people who did the wrong thing. It's more likely that these two bad boys were freedom fighters. They were people who were rebelling against the oppression of the Roman Empire. They probably had done some pretty bad stuff. They had, um, you know, you think about the kind of freedom fighting that's going on even in Syria and places like that, the lengths that people will go to in the pursuit of peace. And so for the Romans, those men, these young men are rising up because of the impression of the Roman forces on the people of Israel. They weren't living in peace and so they were fighting for peace and these two bad boys found themselves in prison. And, and all of the horror that you can imagine that goes with being an oppressive regime, it's, it's pretty hard for us, those of us who've always lived in this country to understand how horrific that would be and that's not to excuse their behaviour. But these are the two men who were in prison, full of anger and rage at what life had dished up for them living in Israel. For them, peace was only or could only be achieved through rebellion, rebelling against oppression. I think there were some more bad boys in this story today for us to think about, and that is the Romans themselves. There's something called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, and this is how, how Rome extended and, and ruled its empire. But it wasn't a real peace. It was only peace if they, you did what they told you to do. It was oppression. It was force. And so for them, peace was achieved through oppression. Peace achieved through rebellion. Peace achieved through oppression. Another group is the, is the um, Jewish leaders and the politicians. Within them, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, there's a sense of growing anger. You can hear the anger as you read through the story. Jesus comes in and he clears out the temple, cleans it out. He teaches with authority. No one can match him as a person who speaks with authority. That's a direct threat. Now he's bringing a direct threat to the religious leaders and the political leaders in Jerusalem. He speaks truth to them and they don't like what they're hearing. He even is able to elegantly navigate questions around the empire. So even when they try and push him into a corner, Jesus is able to navigate that. So he is a direct threat for people for whom peace came I think through compromise. The religious leaders were really interested in power and they were smart enough to figure out they couldn't go up against the, the Roman Empire on their own, but they could compromise in order to retain some power. But really all these techniques and tactics are not methods of finding peace. The bottom line is peace does not come through forces of will, through power or control or rebellion. You can't make yourself peaceful by willpower. Have you thought about that? These are power encounters that are going on all through this holy week between Jesus and these other groups that are going on. And I've tried to ground that in myself and go, what does that say to me? Often when I want peace, I try and force myself to be peaceful. It doesn't work. A lot of religions know that. 
That's why a lot of religions talk about meditation because there's actually to get peace, you actually can't do it by forcing your, your will to get there. You have to abandon your will to find peace. Peace is um, in relationship to others is not attained by exercising power over others. You know, when we, sometimes we want peace and we push people away. That doesn't bring us peace, not really. That just brings us space. <laughs> and that's not peace. Avoiding people just brings us space. It doesn't bring us peace. This is what makes the crucifixion of Jesus the most important event in the whole world. Because on that day, things were certainly not what they seemed. It seemed that the Roman Empire had won. It seemed like even Jesus, the man who had done all the miracles, who was the best teacher around, who, has, who had this capacity to gather an enormous crowd on one day and they were proclaiming him king, that even he could not stand up against the Roman Empire. And so when we think about what happens on Good Friday and we, we look at the image of the cross and we think of these three men hanging there and you read the narrative, this power encounter and Jesus looks like he has lost. One of the questions I've thought about this week is why Luke and why the gospel writers don't go into a lot of detail around what happened to Jesus on the cross about the pain and about the humiliation and the torture. There's little bits in there. But I thought, you know, if I was God, I would want those gospel writers to write down every single little detail about how bad that experience was. If I was God, I, want to, I would want to be like Mel Gibson and I would want to make a movie to make us all understand how really bad that was. I don't think God recorded a lot of the detail of what Jesus went through because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save us from oppression, from power and from control and from rebellion. He's the Prince of Peace. And if all of the suffering of Jesus had been painted out in glorious details in the pages of Scripture as human beings, we would have turned that into a religion of guilt, much more so than we turn Christianity into a religion of guilt sometimes. We would have missed the message of peace. I've asked myself, why was Jesus silent through this week as he comes face to face with Pilate and Herod? He says very little. There was more going on that day than people were hearing and seeing. What seemed to be the end of everything, the end of hope of salvation from oppression was actually the beginning of true freedom. Freedom to live in perfect peace despite the circumstances of the world in which we live. Freedom in the face of anxiety and despair. Freedom in the face of circumstances that are painful. The other thing in the story that's intrigued me actually comes from the Gospel of Mark. Because as, as, as we see in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is hung on the cross and there are the two men either side of him. And there's a small detail in Mark chapter 
15 that says not only were the soldiers and the people yelling abuse at Jesus, but the two men on either side, these two bad boys were also yelling at Jesus. Is that not the most crazy thing that you have thought about? If you've, I haven't seen the Mel Gibson movie, by the way. I don't know if I could bring myself to see it, but I watched a little bit of a clip on YouTube where they've got the flogging, the scene of flogging Jesus. But you can just imagine the pain that these men went through. The two, these two bad boys, they'd been in prison for some time before they would have been crucified. And that would have been, I mean, you don't even want to imagine what that would have been like. But then to have been whipped and beaten to within an inch of your life, totally humiliated, naked, stripped of your clothes, no dignity left, forced to walk through the streets, hung on a cross. And you know, sometimes we think of the crosses as being way up there and people looking up, but they were probably not that high off the ground, so much so that you could walk up to the face of those being crucified and look at them in the face and spit on them and, and yell at them. But you think these two guys had been beaten within an inch of their life, somehow or other, half dead, and they've still got the energy to yell at Jesus. That just does my head in. Number one, it says something about the strength of the human will and spirit, doesn't it? That you could be subjected to the worst kind of torture and punishment and still there is something in the human will that brings that energy. But why pick on Jesus? Why yell at him? It's just totally fascinating. I, it just has totally fascinated. Why yell at Jesus? Maybe because sometimes it's the default. We yell at God for everything, don't we? God, why is this happening to me? I don't know. But what happens is that in the middle of yelling at Jesus, somewhere in that process, at least one of them stops his yelling long enough. Let me backtrack a little bit. I think one of the conclusions I came to as I thought about this yelling on the cross thing was that when there is so much internal rage, so much internal noise, there's something going on there. It keeps us looking down. Anxiety does that, doesn't it? It creates this noise and it kind of holds us down. And for these two men on the cross, there must have been so much rage at what was happening to them. Why is this happening to me? Why has life been so unfair? Why am I hanging here? Why am, why did, why has this life happened for me? Why don't I get to live the life that I wanted to live? And when there's so much internal noise, it keeps us focused down in this perpetual cycle. Almost that becomes an oppression in and of itself. In the middle of the noise around the cross, people weeping, people yelling, people talking, Jesus says these words, Father, forgive them. Something about that stops the noise of at least one of those men. Something about hearing those words, Father, forgive them, 
cuts through the noise and this man looks across at Jesus and suddenly he gets it. Suddenly he sees. What does he see? He sees someone who is suffering the same humiliation that he is suffering. He sees someone who has been subjected to the same kind of pain that he is experiencing. But Jesus is at peace. Jesus is at peace because he trusts in the Father. That's why he can call out to the Father, Father, forgive them. These are extraordinarily powerful words. And so on that day, this man, this freedom fighter who had been searching for peace, looks across to Jesus and recognises that the peace he's been searching for is now found in a person, the person on the cross. And so he says to Jesus, remember me today. And Jesus says to him, the peace you've been looking for, effectively, this is what he says to him, the peace you've been looking for, you will now experience this and experience this for eternity and welcomes him into the peace of life. Why is it that we, so many of us struggle to live in peace? When I've thought about us, and I've particularly thought about us as a church, I think that the thing we most struggle with is distraction. Deep down we find it, so the second question I've asked myself is, so what is it about distraction? Why do we go to distraction so much, even as followers of Jesus? There's a couple of reasons. One is I think that it's just so terrifying to be alone. When we stop the noise, when we actually sit still, we find ourselves in this space where we go, we realise that we are alone and most of us don't want to feel that feeling. Even when we know God, there's something about being alone that we are so desperately afraid of. We were at a dinner party last night and we were talking about this message because I was getting stuck on this thing going, what does this message mean for us? What does this peace mean for us? And one of the guys opposite me said, you know, he said, I think that I'm afraid to be still because I know that following Jesus involves 100% of my will and I'm afraid to trust God actually with everything because God might call me to do things that I don't wanna do. <laughs> and so maybe there's a, part of, there's a truth in that for all of us is that maybe we don't like to be still before God and to live in a deep sense of peace because we trust God, but not quite. And so we, we fill our lives with distraction. Maybe we don't trust God to actually um, be with us in everything. Things happen to us and we go, God, where were you? You're not with me. And so we make assumptions about who God is and what He does and, and how He will be with us, regardless of everything. This week I have, um, there've been a number of times where things have happened and I have gone immediately to anxiety. 
And I go, why do I do that? What am I afraid of? I'm afraid of trusting God because I don't really think God can help me in these things that are troubling. And so this question of Jesus as he's standing weeping over Jerusalem is a question for us. If only you knew today what was needed for peace. There's lots of reminders in the Bible to look up. Distraction, iPhones, Netflix, cake, chocolate, whatever your comfort thing is. <laughs> These things bring us comfort. We, we, we reach for them when we're feeling anxious or afraid or when things aren't working out. I do anyway. But actually they are a form of oppression. They keep us in this cycle of being trapped. I become a slave to Netflix. I become a slave to binge watching because it's, it's a distraction. But that's not living in freedom. And it's not living in peace. And in recent days, the Lord has been reminding me to look up, not down, to look up to Jesus in whom we see perfect peace despite what was happening at that time. And I think that's the challenge for us today. If only you knew what was needed to bring peace. The reminder today is to look up into the face of Jesus. Regardless of what's happening, look up into the face of Jesus. To be still and know that He is God. That He can be trusted. And when we look into the face of Jesus, like that bad boy hanging on the cross, we experience the peace that passes all understanding. You won't get there on your own. I can't get there on my own. The world needs us as followers of Jesus to bring this message of peace, to be people who live in peace. It's part of how we testify to the truth of who Jesus is. When it's hard to find a job, we're people at peace. We're normal human beings, but we're living in peace. When things aren't going right in our family, we can be at peace. Whatever the situation is you're finding today, you can be at peace. But you won't get there through distraction. When I was praying for us this morning, I really sensed the challenge was not only just to read from Luke 19 through and to sit with this story yourself this week, but actually today to find some time to be alone. So here's your second piece of homework. Maybe go and sit under a tree, find a place where you can just be alone and allow Jesus to bring to you the peace today that he has for you to walk deeper and deeper in his peace. Because on this, during this week, this clash of power and whatever else is going on, ultimately we know that this, is the, this was a showdown between God and our enemy, Satan, who does not desire for us to live in freedom. 
and he was defeated on the cross. It's the only way it could be done. And our enemy does not want the people of God today to be living in freedom. He wants us to be looking down, living troubled lives rather than living in freedom. Our city needs us as the church to look up and to live in freedom. This is the hope that we bring to the world. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, today we open our souls to you. Father, give us the courage to open our souls to you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to look up and to look into your face. And for each of us, Lord, there today is an encounter with you that teaches us and shows us and reminds us that you are the Prince of Peace. I I pray that you would bring peace deep into our souls so that tomorrow and the day after and the day after that, we walk in freedom, a deeper freedom, because we know that we can trust you in all things and at all times. And Lord, as you teach us how to walk deeper in peace and freedom, I'm also praying that you would help us to be living witnesses to the message of the cross, which is not failure, which is not shame, but it is a message of freedom. Lord, this is your desire for the whole world. And it's so overwhelming when we think about that, but Lord Jesus, you've called us to this city, to this time and this place. And so I pray that your peace would come to your church in deeper ways and that peace would come to this city and that people walking in darkness, people walking under oppression would be set free. And we thank you that this is what your death means for us. It means life. And we thank you that you are alive and you are the Prince of Peace. Pray that you would bless us with this peace today in Jesus' name. Amen.